Hello and welcome to the CSWC show. Thank you very much to our proud partners at Betway. Check out betway.co.za for more information. Of course, Betway SA20 starts soon. Get your tickets now. There's Game of Zones. Catch 2 million rand. So lots of reasons to get involved. And everyone that has liked and subscribed, a big shout out to you. Cheers to you. Thank you very much. I hope you're having a great day and thanks for your time as always. Now, there's someone who I've, I've admired for a very long time since I think it was 2004 where she was hustling and bustling in the newsroom on the traffic desk, producing sports shows, and she has become a multi-award winning journalist. She's a broadcaster. She is leading the charge on media training across South Africa and probably the continent of Africa. Her name, Mandy Wiener. Mandy, thank you very much for coming in. Can you see me there? Is that all right? I can't Should I? See I'm you. trying to yeah, I'll work out. Like, hey, see, it's I, great I, to be here. <laughs> <laughs> we are now. professionals. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Mandy. It's uh, so cool. Firstly, congratulations. You've done an amazing job. Uh, I'm, I'm just uh, in awe. Well done, man. You've done so well. Sure, thank you. It's, uh, it's incredible to be here and think about where we've come from. Um, <laughs> and in 2003, 2004, how we were both hustling uh, in, in the sports environment. I was convinced I was going to be a sports reporter. I always thought that was But you could still add sport now, can't you? I, I still speak about sport on air yeah. a lot. I still write about sport. Tottenham's your uh, Tottenham club? is my team, believe it or Paddle. not. Paddle? Yes. I've you mixed got views. straight in there, hey? Yeah, straight I've got mixed you know, that's, views that's on Paddle. That's me happy. <laughs> Tell me about your views on paddle. No, I just uh, I like tennis. I like tennis too. I just prefer tennis. I'm a purist. It, I do I'm, love tennis. Absolutely. But you can love both things at once. I'm yet to be convinced on paddle. Have you played? I have not played because I well, refuse. Well, here we go. <laughs> I refuse to play because tennis is the ultimate. Just come play once. Okay, maybe maybe I'll take you up on that. Someone said that to Dan Nickel, and then he ended up trying to fix his Achilles for a year. <laughs> oh, so is it the new CrossFit for physios? <laughs> exactly. That is exactly what it is. It's because you get these people who are in their 40s who think that they are 20, yeah. and then get onto the court and try and be Alcaraz yeah. and run down everything. So you have to be quite responsible and stretch, but it's it makes me so happy. It's, it, so it's, it's your happy therapy. place? Absolutely. Okay. Because things are stressful at times, right? I mean, you're busy. You're on the go. You've got a, an incredible show. Check out Mandy's show, 12 to 1 every day, 702 Cape Talk. Um, it keeps you busy along with family, mm. along with so many other things, columns. What else is going on at the moment, man? Uh, I do a lot of uh, speaking, lots of uh, speaking at conferences, okay. keynotes. Um, I love doing that because you get to engage with people and speak to big rooms full of people. And I generally speak about the country and... The narrative that's yeah. out there, our outlook in the country. Um, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I'm remarkably positive about South Africa, okay. which people always struggle to comprehend yeah. because my job literally is to tell people how bad everything is every and day. put it in the spotlight, firmly exactly. in the spotlight. We'll get to that. But do you still get nervous? You know what I mean? Like, So um, you, you've been behind a mic for so many years. When you switch on that mic, is it just almost like... And it's meant with all respect. A lot of people, and I, I get it even with live TV, when mm -hmm. when, when I, it's autopilot. Like you literally go, yeah. boom, the, the switch flicks and there you are. So I, I do go onto autopilot yeah. uh, quite often. It depends what's happening. 
So if there's a big breaking news story and I can appreciate the gravity of the moment, then my heart starts to beat faster and I start to get um, anxious. Yeah. And you have to concentrate on slowing down your tone and making sure that you are deliberate in what you say because you can get carried away with the adrenaline of, of the moment. Uh, so I was at the ANC conference at NASREC in uh, December and I was sitting on the floor with all the other journalists because that's where they put the journalists. Is you sit on the floor. In their place. Yeah, in the, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was doing live crossings while the election results were coming out. Yeah. And, and that's a big buzz because it defines the trajectory of the country. Absolutely. So you really do have that front row seat to history. You do get to witness that. And that comes with a lot of energy and adrenaline. So you need to manage that. I don't get nervous necessarily. Mm. Um, if I go out on stage, to speak at a conference and there's a thousand people in the room I don't get nervous at all really um, not, not even a little flutter or not really so you, you're a machine no but, but I think a lot of it is confidence absolutely right yeah fair um, enough and it's about doing it more often and the more you do the better you get the more confident you get the more you do the better you get the more confident you get that's right um, so I think that because I've been doing it for such a long time um, I don't get nervous yeah but I, I still get excited that's good, man. That's yeah. good. Uh, this is bugging me. Sorry, Ray. Can we just drop Mandy? Yeah. I, I want to look her in the eye. Hang you know on. what I mean? Like, Can I do that? Yeah, that's cool. How does that that's sound? That's much better. <laughs> <laughs> Mandy knows her way around. <laughs> I, was, I thought, I don't, I don't want to touch anything. So you, you can touch anything on our studio. Um, there we go. That's better. Do you remember that? Don't sure. touch me on my studio. Chris Murrelling. Mm, crazy. Um, so how are you enjoying the show at the moment? Because... I, I, when I can, I, I tune in and I listen, and I think you're doing a phenomenal job. Um, I love that it's an hour. It's so concise. You get straight mm. to the point, and anything that I've literally missed, I can get comment and opinion on it. You enjoying that space from the reporting yeah. role into the sort of transition? So for me, it is the uh, the next logical yeah. step from from reporting. Um, I spent a long time in the field as as a journalist. And I completely burnt out as a result. So I spent years going to court cases and breaking news stories and chasing news all the time. Uh, and then I just lost my love for it and I was tired. Um, I started writing books and doing that as well. Um, but it was, uh, it was during COVID, actually. I, was, I wasn't employed. I was working on a book. I was homeschooling my kids. And I got a call in uh, June of 2020 to say, would you like the show? And I'd done the show before. Um, I'd filled in for Orani um, Guala or Stephen Curtis when they were doing it. And I, I thought, sure, like this works for me. It's great. And what I love about it is it's still got the journalism. Mm -hmm. Uh, which I love. So we do 10 interviews in an hour. That's mad. Which means you need to know a little bit, or preferably a lot, about everything. Mm. I like to think of it as a lunchbox. So at lunchtime, you can come, you can hear everything you need to hear, and you can go and have a proper conversation about anything. You can go to dinner tonight and hold your own. And I'm very, very aware of not being completely negative. Um, I think people uh, are, have got fatigue. They've got news fatigue. Mm. I think people want balance. I like to speak about light and shade in the media. I think we have a negativity bias. So I try and cover other things too. I do do a lot of sport mm -hmm. um, because I can't help myself. Um, 
I do a book every week. I try and look at popular culture. But fundamentally, we look at the big news stories of yeah. the day. And I love to play with audio and bring in audio and make sure it's textured and bring in voices of people and keep it going. Lots of energy and exciting. And, and I also have a fantastic team. Yeah. And that makes a big difference. Absolutely. I think it's key um, because it gives you the confidence to address any topic. Knowing that you've got the right person to speak to, your producers mm. found that person, you've got the right audio. Audio doesn't sound crap. you know. And I think that makes a big difference. But what's interesting is you said there's that news fatigue so how do you sort of overcome that is that by literally trying to lighten things up where you can i know on fridays you've got the good things guy yeah. um you know i i like the fact that with Tolakele you speak sport and there's a good banter between you know her manchester united and you with spurs uh, is that kind of the the mission so when it's time to get serious you get serious but Keep it light as possible at times. Yeah, or? I do try and keep it light, but at the same time, people aren't tuning in to to me to be uh, music radio sure. or to be entertaining. They're coming because it's appointment listening. Um, they follow me on social media because they want news or they want analysis or they want interpretation. I'm not a comedian. I mean, I can be funny, but I'm not there to to be a comedian. Sure. Um, so people are coming because they are interested. Mm. Uh, so it's about making sure that they are informed um, and delivering it. In in a way that makes them want to listen. So I always speak about how in, in the news environment, there's this argument between what's in the public interest versus what's interesting to the public. Okay. So as the media, we need to make sure that we are delivering messages that are in the public interest, that are important. Um, unlike some of my colleagues who are doing shows about the, whether the earth is flat um, or whatever it may be. <laughs> <laughs> it really did happen, right? Um, so we have to make sure that our content is is important and relevant, mm. but you have to deliver it in a way that is interesting to the public. Yeah. So it makes them want to listen. Otherwise, they'll just go listen to another station or go tune into a podcast. Mm. You know. Yeah, I think you, you also made a very interesting point. There's this negative bias. Um, is that kind of like a clickbaity sort of thing in just to get people's attention? Uh, mm -hmm. Because you know, you were listening to you now just sort of prepping for your show and chatting to your producer. And a lot of it is the same over and over in South Africa, but we're dealing with the same things, China delivering 500 million rands worth of generators or whatever Which it may be. Which is what we're talking about on radio Oh, today. there we go. Okay, yeah. coming up. <laughs> um, how do you sort of keep it fresh, if you know what I mean, yeah. and not fall into that? Because as you say, like, a lot of people I know driving to work in the morning, they're like, I just turn off the radio. I can't anymore. Or I've unsubscribed from social media because I can't anymore. It's such a fine balance, isn't it? So uh, when I was a reporter, one of the reasons I, I, I fell out of love with, with reporting and felt so burnt out was I felt like I was doing the same stories over and over again, just changing the names and, and places. Um, so a corruption trial, mm. a murder, um, a cash heist. It was always the same thing um, in, in various guises. Um, and in a way, the news cycle is like that in South Africa. But at the same time, the South African news cycle is wild. Yeah. Because some days you'll, you'll come up with a story like Tabo Besta, where you can't make the stuff <laughs> up, right? And it amuses me. And I have to be careful about not just laughing at things. Sure. And like yesterday I started just laughing on the radio because um, people were, were making this point about how astonishing the news cycle is. And um, Dion Mayer, the, uh, the, the crime writer, the incredible fiction writer, uh, said to me years ago that if he had to take the plot of one of my books 
and use it in a novel, no one would believe him. Because truth is stranger than fiction in South Africa. <laughs> Absolutely. So while the, the news cycle can become repetitive, every now and again something gets thrown in that is just unbelievable. And that's what keeps me amused and yeah. entertained and interested and engaged. Um, so I'm mindful of that. But I do think that what happens in South Africa, and this is what I speak about, this is my shtick, right? When I go shtick. and do uh, <laughs> corporate conferences and keynotes, and I feel very passionate about this, is that I think we fall into a default narrative in South Africa. Mm -hmm. It is easy to be negative. It is easy to bitch and moan and complain. And I always quote Chimamanda Adichie, the Nigerian author, who says, the danger of a single story is not that it's untrue, but that it becomes the only story. And that is the only story that we tell about South Africa, is the government is corrupt, everything is broken, nothing works, it's a complete failure, the system is broken. And that is not entirely true. There are other stories to tell about South Africa. So when the president says... We mustn't badmouth South Africa. We must tell the good news stories about South Africa. I agree with him to an extent because mm -hmm. there are good news stories to tell about South Africa. There are stories of patriots, of civil society, of active citizens, of whistleblowers, of investigative journalists, of entrepreneurs who are hustling out there. Artists doing incredible things. Of the Springboks and yeah. social cohesion and what they've achieved. There are amazing South African stories to tell. The story about the ANC government, not so much. And that's what the president would like us to tell. Sure, there have been successes. Um, ARV rollout, social grants. Um, you look at the uh, Auditor General's report. There are good stories to tell. But primarily, the good stories in this country are about what I like to call the hope dealers. And those are people who are changing the narrative in this country in spite of government, not because of it. You've given me... I suppose a segue into talking about South Africa in the future because I, I read a stat the other day. Um, the amount of people that are leaving South Africa, crime, load shedding, mm. that, and immigrating. But then there's also an amount of people that are coming back to South yeah. Africa from places like the UK. Oh, that's all right. You're popular. I understand. It's all good. Uh, that's a it's show. Like I mean, you're getting ready. preparing <laughs> a show, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and like you say, it is easy to be negative. And, and us as white people in particular, mm. I think well, some of them, you know, and I'm probably going to get hauled over the coals for saying this, but we're probably some of the most negative people by default as, as things happen in South Africa. But yet we're the ones living in the ivory towers, et cetera, et cetera. But what is your outlook for South Africa? Are you still positive in, in the fact that we still face so many challenges and that crime and GBV and that is still yeah. out of, very much out of control and we mm -hmm. haven't got that sort of under control. There are very serious problems in South Africa. So I'm not Pollyanna about the situation. Mm. Don't think that I'm I'm going out there and saying, oh, the country's great. Yeah, beating the drum. Um, actually, it's amazing. We yeah. just need to change our uh, our view and rose tint yeah. our glasses. That's not the case. My job every day literally is to talk about what is wrong with the country. However, I don't think we can leave it just to government to fix the situation. MTR Suleiman always says you can't leave it to 7 million taxpaying South Africans to um, fix the problem on behalf of 60 million mm. South Africans. We're seeing the private sector now stepping up and saying we can't leave it to government. So there are various work streams and cooperation happening between the private sector and the public sector. And I'm of that view too, is that I think that many South Africans 
do like to bitch and moan mm. about the situation and call out the government. But for me, it's it's about what people are doing individually. Yeah. And I know people are going to say, I pay my taxes. Government should deliver services. Yeah. Why must I now go and do things if government's not going to deliver? But I really do feel that we need to be active citizens. I think that we need to roll up our sleeves, get involved, make a difference. Um, it's about just making yourself more aware. So yeah. paying attention to the news, educating yourself, registering to vote, going out to actually vote, finding out who your local police station commissioner is, who's your local councillor. Uh, is there a program that you can get involved in? Mm. Can you support a civil society organization? Set up a debit order. Pick up your trash. Just pick up your trash, man. Yeah. Just like, like clean up, be proud, be patriotic. Um, and I know that we can still complain about government, yeah. but vote. And we have a big voter apathy problem in yeah. this country. So we really do need to hold power to account. Um, what is my outlook for the country? So I think that we're in a very difficult place at the moment. And we're going into an election year next year. We are very much in the land of, of coalitions. So it's very possible that the ANC could fall below 50%. We could have a coalition government at national level. And we know it's an absolute shit show at local government level with coalitions. So it could get worse before it gets better. The Brenthurst Foundation has done scenario planning, which I find really interesting. Uh, they've done a lot like what Clem Santa did in the, in the 80s with the high road and the low road. And they've looked at various scenarios called the good, the bad and the ugly um, of, you know, we could go down the path of a, a Venezuela or a Zimbabwe. We could go um, down a, a path that is more promising about the country. Um, so I do think there is a way out. Okay. But it means that we need to make things happen. Yeah. We need to change the government. Or we need to get the ANC at the moment to make things happen and not stagnate. Yeah. It's interesting. I think I was listening to your show and it, oh, I'm not sure exactly the source and forgive me for not crediting it properly, but if, if the ANC fell below a certain percentage, I think it was below 50% mm. or something. There was behind the scenes talks yep. with the DA. Is that like confirmed that it has happened? I know there's, it's bit sort of murky in terms of both parties, yeah. but is that something you foresee happening? So uh, Adrian Brisson, oh, the that's right. uh, yes. yeah. chief of News24 and Quinita Hunter, that's who's right. the politics editor at News24, have written a book um, which looks at who rules South Africa. And um, that was an interview that I was doing with, with Adrian because one of the things that came out in, in the book was that there are secret negotiations happening between the ANC and the DA because we could see, that's one of the scenarios that the Brenthurst Foundation looks at, is we could see a more centrist coalition where the ANC and the DA go into a coalition. Um, everyone's denying that, obviously. The DA is saying absolutely not. That's that's not on the cards. Um, but that would, one of the scenarios is we could see the ANC being in charge of um, government, mm -hmm. uh, the executive, uh, because we have separation of powers, and the DA being in charge of parliament in terms of the speaker and the oversight committees, which would have accountability. I think that there are options. Mm. So anything could happen. There, we really are at, at a crossroads mm. in, in the country at the moment. But what is undeniable is that the situation currently is untenable. Yeah. Because things are just not working out at the moment. Yeah, you're right. And, and so important, please vote. If you're in South Africa, if you're watching in South Africa, if you haven't registered yet, you need to vote. Please do it because you can't not vote and complain. If you vote, 
all the right in the world to complain. Speaking of books, is it um, is it hard work writing a book? I mean, you've writ- written a few, and congratulations, they've done incredibly well. But is it something that is cathartic? Was it something that is like, this is actually a bit of a ball ache at times? Yeah, it becomes a bit of a ball ache. Yeah. Um, it does. It's very gratifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so initially when I started writing books, the first book I, I wrote, I had I'd never written anything more than a magazine article. And I was young and I was, was ambitious. Back in the day. Yeah, back in the day. <laughs> Only a few I, years ago. Yeah. And I thought, ah, oh, you know, I, just want, I want to write a book. And I wrote Killing Kevil yeah. in about three months. And it became this mad publishing success story which I did not anticipate yeah. um, there's a problem when your first book does that because <laughs> the rest of your life is you are constantly chasing yeah. that kind of success which is basically impossible in this yeah. country um, Jacques Poe has managed successfully yeah. to do that um, so it's, it's, it's become harder in a way because I have children yeah. so I have less time um, I'm doing lots of other things, so I just don't have capacity. And books are grueling. They really are very taxing, and people don't realize that, is that you go through various edits, and um, th- there's a process. Radio, I can go on air, and I can talk, right? You I'm can switch off the mic at yeah, the end of the show. <laughs> exactly. Um, but this, it really takes a lot of time, a lot of research. Yeah. You're in isolation a lot of the time. It is a very lonely process. Um, but I do love it. There's nothing, there's nothing like seeing your book in print. And the second book, I, I see you've said in a few articles when you interviewed about it, the, the Ministry of Crime, um, that you didn't have a family at the time. Yeah. So you felt a bit more free writing that. Whereas I suppose today, like, you've got to think, I've got a family, you know, I'm mm. public figure, that sort of thing. So I would not do Killing Kevil or Ministry of Crime no, okay. wouldn't do it. And it's tricky, right? Because many people have an expectation from me that I am the person who writes about organized crime and the underworld. And you know, everyone says, oh, what's your next book? What are you working on? Expecting some kind of expose of some kind of criminal network. And I just do not have the appetite for that anymore. I know it's disappointing, but I just can't do it. I just, I realized the risk. Yeah. When I was younger, I did not care. I was bulletproof. It didn't matter. I I was intrigued and fascinated, and I was very happy to take risks. It didn't occur to me that there could be a problem, it, and I was spending a lot of time with with people who moved in those circles, uh, and now I don't want to go anywhere near it, um, for a few reasons. The one is I have children. Yeah. The other one is I don't think the police is what they were. A dozen years ago so I don't have as much confidence in the fact that they'll be able to protect me necessarily I may be wrong on that and sure. you know that's uh, just it's up for maybe it's just yeah. my heightened sensitivity sure. um, around it um, and I just feel like I've left that world behind now um, so I'm unlikely to do a book like that again the I actually texted Barry Bateman the other day and, and he's doing phenomenal work and that Oscar Pistorius, I know you say you're tired of it's 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 you, had you to know find a way, hey? yeah you had to find a way couldn't help yourself <laughs> are you kidding? Um, <laughs> but that book also changed your life in a way um, because it was a court case that 
captivated the world, not probably outside South Africa more than in South South Africa at the time. So I wrote that uh, book on the Oscar Pistorius and Reva Steenkamp story with Barry yeah. Bateman. Um, and sure, I'd agreed to do that book and then fell pregnant. Um, and I'll never forget, I was sitting in the, in the guy in his room and he told me the due date. And the due date was a week before the trial was supposed to start. <laughs> and I said to him, well, is there anything we can do about that? <laughs> so I was sitting at home with this fresh new baby um, and it was raining. It didn't stop raining for two weeks. And I um, am fairly certain that I had uh, um, some uh, postpartum depression. And I was watching the Oscar Pistorius trial and trying to write an international book at the same time. Uh, and I had a newborn baby for that, you know, the whole year was when we wrote the book. And the book came out in, in the October of, uh, of 2014. Um, yeah, but that whole, that whole episode mm. is something that I do not enjoy speaking about. Uh, you'll find many journalists in this country are very reluctant to speak about that case yeah and you've had requests i mean i know i bugged you for for an interview and i respect your, your reason you. you did but that's I totally cool you. Oh, that's fine um <laughs> i got your number um but i think the fact is like you say it was draining yeah. and and mentally just exhausting and you even told me just before we started the recording that a ptsd in a way yeah i think that a lot of a lot of journalists who covered it um, I mean, there's one journalist who was telling me that they um, have this this cognitive reaction whenever they hear Oscar Pistorius that they they pretty much uh, fall asleep. They just uh, like something in their brain yeah, switches, yeah, off. switches off. Um, and I, I I have this visceral reaction to it as well, just because it was such a big story. Mm. There was so much interest that um, it became quite ugly. The environment mm. around it became very toxic. Um, from a media perspective, from people being competitive, um, from the various interests on, on both sides, um, to the, the public reaction. People were very emotionally invested. So they were very, very polarized yeah. on social media, very aggressive, uh, very personal attacks, um, to the point where I just, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And I totally respect that. I get, I get that. I think the way you covered it and, and uh, brought us that story was, was incredible. Well done. And the book, I'm sure, did fantastically well. For me, I think the interest outside of South Africa is almost like magnified it because yeah. the general feeling I get in South Africa and being a sports journalist, Oscar sort of overlaps and it's all about the parole and what he's mm -hmm. going to do afterwards. And, and to be honest, I can't really, you know, I'm, I'm so There's so over much it. more interest from yeah. overseas than from South Africans. And because I work for an overseas uh, media house, it's always something pops up. It's like, can you do us something? Can we find out? Hi, Mandy. I am a English <laughs> journalist that is looking for a contact number. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Sorry, but I no. didn't take any offense, so don't worry. Okay. So we, we're cool, we're cool. Um, last Oscar question, please. <laughs> then we're done, I promise. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen next when, when the parole? Do you think, are you expecting a media uh, frenzy again when he comes out? Is he going to slip into the night, sort of thing? Is he going to go to the UK? I mean, there's all these. So he can't go to the UK because he has to stay with. Oh, I see. Yeah, he has to stay within the. Um, uh, Boundary of South Africa. Yeah, no, of, of, of where his uncle lives oh, really? in Waterproof. He has okay. to stay in that, that area uh, for a period of time. 
Um, so I don't think he's unlikely to, to go yeah. anywhere else. I mean, my expectation, and I could be wrong on this, is that I think he'll keep an incredibly low profile. I'd be surprised. Maybe he'll do one interview. Mm. Um, I'd be surprised if he tries to um, rehabilitate his public uh, persona. Um, I don't know if that would be possible. Sure. Um, but we have seen, we've seen it happen. We have. Uh, we saw it with OJ. Um, so the point that I always make when it comes to Oscar Pistorius is I think that there were two separate findings. The one was by the court of law and the other was by the court of public opinion. And when I used to speak about this a lot in big rooms of people, I would ask a question to, to the room. And the question is, who in this room believes that Oscar Pistorius knew that Rivas Tienkamp was behind the door? Or who believes that he thought it was an intruder? Without fail, 99% of the room would put their hand up and say that they agreed that they believed that Oscar knew Riva was behind the door. The court of law did not convict him of that. It did not convict him of intentionally killing Riva. It convicted, convicted him of intentionally killing someone. And according to the evidence, it does not show that he knew that Riva Stenkamp was behind the door. It shows that he thought that someone was behind mm. the door. But the public does not care about that at all. The public has reached its own conclusion. So I think it will be difficult for him to rehabilitate his mm. image because of that finding, um, even though the court of law did not find that. Yeah. Mandy, I won't uh, ask you again. Thank you very much for sharing that. I appreciate it. Um, Robert Marawa, you were involved there. Kim Chanel. Kim. You got it. Um, Chanel, you got to get it right. Uh, yeah, I had him on and he was so cool and he did it and I was like, damn, man, I wish I could do that. And he's got this like voice, you know, he's, he's Robert. Um, respect, shout out to Robert Marawa. Um, that must have been fun. Oh, it was so different to what, yeah. what I normally do. I think a lot of people were wondering why I was doing it. But um, I've always been, he's Robert Marawa. Yeah, exactly. It's very hard to explain <laughs> this, right? Is that he, he is he is Robert Marawa. So um, I thought he had a fantastic story to tell. Um, did he approach you or how did that it, it all even of, come about? I slid into his DMs. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> about something that was happening at the SABC. And then it took about two years of up and down. And I was saying, ah, I think you should write a book. And then he eventually um, said, oh, let's write a book. Yeah. And it, I was between things. So I said, cool, let's do it. Um, I like to call it a palate cleanser for myself because it wasn't about organized crime or anything. Um, I was just very interested in his broadcasting story yeah. because I, the, the favorite parts about my story is where he, about the book is where he tells his story about broadcasting and how he thinks about broadcasting and how he compiles his shows and how, who he speaks to and how he comes up with, with uh, nicknames and references. Um, and that for me was so so interesting. So I, I did think, and it's important that we document these kinds of stories. Absolutely. Um, because there's so much value in younger generations reading about how this boy from rural KZN used to sit with his family's camcorder for hours on end and record himself yeah. and how his mother used to keep the piles of newspapers and he had come home from boarding school and go through each of them and read them um, because that's proper... Groundwork. Yeah. That is proper commitment. And 
with younger people today, they find they rock up in newsrooms and they don't read. They don't do research. They're not willing to work. They're not willing to put in the hard graft. So... What is your advice to someone getting into the industry right now? I, I mean, it's not what it was when we started. Um, it's changed significantly. Mm-hmm. But that's no excuse. In good and bad ways. Yeah, yeah. But there's no excuse for not doing hard work, yeah. doing your, so doing your job. So I that, um, and rightfully so, uh, editors and newsrooms today are much more conscious of mental health yeah. of, of reporters, which is so needed and is so important. I agree. Um, when I was a young reporter, oh, there was so much bravado. And we would be so flippant, dark humor about the things we were witnessing. Um, and I'm a big advocate of, of therapy. Mm. And I went for a lot of therapy when I was a young reporter because I was seeing, seeing such a violent yeah. uh, stuff. Um, lots of, of crime scenes, lots of dead bodies, dead children, the worst of it. Yeah, horrific. Um, yeah. No, horrific. Mm. And, you know, I think that at the time it was, ah, you know, it's part of the job. Mm. We put ourselves in the firing line. I'd rush off to a shootout and see if I could get there while it was still happening um, because we needed to record the audio of the bullets flying overhead. I found myself once in in the Newt Street taxi rank in like the basement with uh, police shooting on one side and taxi drivers shooting on the other side. And I was in the middle with my microphone trying to record the audio. And I always remember what David O'Sullivan said, keep your head down and your microphone up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's crazy, right? Uh, yeah, I mean... So I do think it's mad. inherent. I think yeah. that for a young journalist who's coming into the environment now, you have to want to do it. You've yeah. got to be passionate about it. Um, you have to read. You have to listen. You have to follow the media. You have to consume media. Um, people don't read. They haven't got institutional memory. They don't understand context. So that's really important, yeah. is to make sure that, that you do that work beforehand. And graft. I mean, we were speaking about how I started writing on the traffic desk, writing traffic bulletins and call screening overnights and yeah. producing the sports show. So you've There's got to do it. hours that have been put in that, uh, in that credibility tank, if yeah. I can put it that way. Um, interesting for me, Mandy, like if you look at sort of your journey and, and how you've come, you must have moments where you were like, yeah, this, this, is, this is good. I've done, I've done well here. You know, like where you pat yourself on the back or like a highlight because you've won several awards. Um, There's also been moments where you've been like, why am I doing this? I'm sure you've asked yourself that. But like what has been something that's been that sort of the fire in your belly that's got you going, that's got you through the toughest and the darkest times to where you are today? Mm. Uh, So I'm not big on awards. I think they're very subjective. Sure. you know, I sometimes think, mm, I shouldn't have won that one. Maybe somebody else should have. Or there's years where I think, oh, that, that's not the right winner. I should have won it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> not really. Um, so, um, yeah, like for me, it's not, it's not about accolades. Uh, it's very nice. Mm-hmm. I did once get criticized for being a brand journalist, like a celebrity journalist, when I, when I was a bit younger, after killing Kevin okay. and, and all of that. Um, so for me, it really is about the, the journalism. And for me, it's still when there's a breaking news story. That, that for me, is, is everything. Um, it's the only thing that reminds me about 
why I love to do what I what I love to do. Otherwise, there are days where I, I feel quite bored and repetitive. Okay. Um, you would think, right, that this is the most exciting job in the world. <laughs> and there are still days where I'm so bored. So bored. Oh, another stage of yeah. load shedding. Oh. Oh, are we get? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the other thing also is that um, having to do a radio show every day, and you'll know this, yes, is that you have to be on yeah. every day. And it is relentless. So I really struggle with that. I'm very grateful often that my show is only an hour. The thought of doing a three-hour show every day and having to perform and pay attention. You know, other people can go to work and just cruise, unless you're a brain surgeon. Yeah. Um, you know, there are people that can just fly under the radar and just cruise through and clock the hours. But yeah, you have to really know what's going on. I, I do always say that I believe that I'm one mistake away from the end of my career. And I think we all are. I think, yeah, because absolutely. Because we can go on air today and say something madly offensive and that's the end of your career in, in the current climate. You are cancelled, done. And it's very hard to come back from that. So you have to really pay attention and make sure. Um, I do think that it comes naturally if you've been mm. doing it for, for a long time and you're not an idiot and offensive and racist and sexist and it does. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> EQ also plays a huge yeah. part in it. You know, IQ is one thing, but we often say EQ actually reading the room mm. is often the difference between that. that sort but it's of also what you don't know about what you don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's because I come from a white privileged background and my lived experience is different to the lived experience of many people sure. who are listening to me. I need to really think about that. And uh, that's why I'm so grateful to have a producer and a technical producer who are excellent and incredible and have got a different worldview to me. And that was my one request uh, when I started doing the show was I want a black female producer because I can't have someone who sees the world the same way that I yeah. do. Yeah. It's, it just doesn't work like that. Um, we've got a few minutes. I know you've, you've got to rush off just now. If you could have dinner with three people... Mm. Alive, dead, come on. Question. No, I know, but that's why I'm doing it. I don't that's know. Okay, should we go live? Yeah, currently alive. Currently alive. Dinner. Um, so, um, Pink, because I love Pink. Oh, she's awesome. I just booked tickets to go watch her next year. I haven't told anyone this. Where? Where? In Amsterdam. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. Um, it'd have to be somebody like sports, um, Roger Federer. I think it'd be awesome. I think. And for some reason, Barack Obama. So I was in Grand Park when, when Barack Obama was elected. Wow. As okay. uh, president of the U.S. I was in Grand Park with uh, with uh, Peter DeToy, who is now the assistant editor at News 24. And we love to reminisce about this experience because it was just the most incredible journalistic experience to, to be there and witness history and feel... You could feel the sea change. You could feel yeah. a revolution happening what around a guy. you. Um, yeah, so I think that would be quite interesting. But yeah, now I sound like Tuli Madoncela, who um, always speaks about the Gogod Laminis, right? <laughs> and for me, the, the stories that I love most are just stories of amazing normal people. Yeah. It's not about celebrities. and That's why I hate this question. Okay. Because I'm not uh, editing it out, by the way. I, no, no, it's, it's fine. Staying. No, that's cool. Staying. Mark staying. that one. No problem. It'd be real on Instagram. The, the, the whole kind of principle of this question sure. to me is wrong. Okay. Because people expect you to say what I've just said, right? Yeah. Is, oh, uh, Oprah, 
Nelson Mandela. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe Michael Jackson. Yeah, pedal champion. Yeah, yeah. Who is the pedal champion of 2022, Mandy? Augustine Tapia. <laughs> you see. It really is. <laughs> there we go. There's another one we'll keep. Um, but it, do, you want, do you want to play sports? Uh, we can play trivia if you want. Sports trivia. Um, sports trivia. I actually would. Not, actually I think my, you would do incredibly well. Superpower. You would do very yeah. well. Um, Tottenham happy with him at the moment. Um, I think that the coach is doing good. Pasta go 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 I just know Ange Ball. <laughs> it's amazing how we're doing so much better without Harry Kane. Um, I rate him. I'm a huge yeah, fan. I think he's. I think yeah. he's excellent. But he's well, he's rocking the Bundesliga. So killing it. Um, I you know the thing about it's like Newcastle, right? It's we love them, but they're not going to win the league. <laughs> yeah, no, not yet. <laughs> but it's just about. And you know, I try to raise my son as a Spurs fan. And? So for the first few years, yeah, he was a Spurs fan. And then my husband, who has never watched soccer in his life, suddenly became a Liverpool fan. No. And now my son is a massive Liverpool fan. So they support Liverpool, and I still support Spurs. And they are loving life over there. Um, well, it's a proper club, Liverpool. It's a proper club, a proper and club. they can actually win the league occasionally. Sure. And I just feel like I've so, so Liverpool play Tottenham at home. Oh, Everyone around the yeah. TV. Except my daughter, who's sitting on the beanbag watching YouTube. She couldn't care less. <laughs> she's, she's probably got the right idea. <laughs> um 2024, what has it got in store for you? What, what's, um, what are some of the boxes you want to tick in 2024? Um, I've asked you the cliched I want to launch a podcast thing. to rival the CSD uh, anytime show. No. more people we do more people who have podcasts the better for the industry I think um, so obviously I want to it's an election year yeah. so there's going to be a lot of work being done in the news environment around that so helping people to make sense of that um, I, you know I've, I've done five, six, seven elections I don't know how many elections I've done so it's, again, it's about finding a way to tell the stories that is different and yeah. going to The Rock and results announcements. You know, it's about making it interesting. Um, I'm working on a new keynote. Okay. Uh, that, and I, I think uh, I need to, uh, I would like to write a book next year. Um, so I have uh, years when I work on books and years when I don't work on books. And I just had a year off. Um, so I would really like to write fiction. Okay. I would like to write a, a crime fiction. And uh, there are some people who are really, really on my case about, about doing I this. I think it will do so well, Mandy. You but must definitely do it. I just don't know if I it. can do it. Like, uh, I haven't got the Is it literally confidence. Like, it's so hard. I've never written a book. And I probably never will. But is it a case of going, laptops open, there's the word document, and you go... So I don't look at it like that. And people have got different processes. Sure. For me, I feel like I need to research it and make sure because it's got to be authentic and accurate and you need time to do that. Okay. I would like to do that at some point. So it's not it's like Hank Moody and Californication where he just goes <laughs> right through the night. <laughs> <laughs> Although um, <laughs> I do get some abuse from other writers because I write fast. Okay. Uh, so I write a lot faster than a lot of um, fiction writers because it's easier to write nonfiction. Mm. So I can sit down and... Because you've researched yeah. it, you've done the homework. Lastly, and I'm going to ask you a politics question to end. How do you think next year election's going to go? In your humble opinion. In my years opinion. and years of experience yeah. in the media space, yes. I've learned one thing. You do not make predictions. 
With elections with or anything. politics in Sports. general? Sports. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anything. That's fair enough. Because if you get it wrong, you look like an idiot. Sure, so, sure. Um, I don't know. Gut feel. I don't know. Do you think it's going to be quite a shake-up just sort of based I on think, it? Or do you think uh, we're going to have much of the 50 same? 50 plus one for the NC. Okay, okay. I think, I don't know. You never Who know. Knows? You never know. Well, that's you why you need know. to vote, people. That's why you need to vote. Cast your vote. Who's going to win the league? I still think City. I still think City. Um, Liverpool playing some amazing football at the moment. I think Spurs, Spurs have fallen off. I still don't think Arsenal are... I think they're a little bit of a soft team. Like, in general, I think they're a little bit of a soft underbelly. I don't think they've got um, the depth and... I don't think they can do a whole season. Yeah, I, rate, I rate Arteta. Arteta. I, I like the style of football. He doesn't like to moan, especially with VAR decisions when Newcastle won. Everyone's moaning about yeah. VAR um, decisions. So. I still think City have the pedigree. They know how to play the league... Um, Arsenal, I'd lo- yeah, I don't know. I, would, I wouldn't love to say that Arsenal should win it, but I think City is the See, team. Predictions are hard, right? Who's going to win Wimbledon? You know, it's Alcaraz, just, Alcaraz. Djokovic. Yeah, it's, oh, predictions are hard. Let me ask you this then: Do you think you'll know the day will come when the day comes when it's time to hang it all up and sort of kick back and? Call a day There's on a good this. Sports analogy in there. Right? Yeah, you know what I mean on on your on your career because yeah. I, you've I, done an I, amazing I, I job, Mandy. I realize that nobody wants to. My worldview will will not be relevant forever. Sure. Um, and I think that there comes a time when people do lose relevance, yeah. and you become too out of touch. That's why I want a nice long career as a crime fiction writer. Sitting on the beach and murder she wrote two point yeah exactly. <laughs> I think I, you'll do so well. <laughs> Honestly, you must. I think you'll do. Well. Can I be a character, please? Uh, okay. Ginger, just throw a ginger. Yeah, I was throwing a ginger. Yeah, handsome. Does he have to be called CS? No, no, he doesn't have to. But I'll know. There's a you know that guy's based. I, I do think the first one's going to be about a podcaster. So <laughs> true story. That's the plan. But that's cool. Yeah. Does he die? <laughs> No, no, she he's, she's the she hero her, is the heroine, the heroine and yeah. solves everything exactly through yeah. a podcast series that she has exactly. and they get oh, I think it's fascinating of course you do do it yeah do it Mandy Weiner you're an absolute legend uh, I loved having you on the show thanks so much for coming through and like I said credibility credibility second to none keep up the amazing work thank you you're an inspiration to so many up and coming journalists and journalists and uh, yeah just wish you all the best and I can't wait to see your your first novel that's not related to, you know, crime syndicate or anything like that. <laughs> so. You're going to wait a long time. I'm sorry. <laughs> but thanks so much for, for sharing your time. And obviously, thanks so much to everyone who's liked and subscribed. We appreciate your time. Mandy Wiener, have a wonderful festive season and um, stay safe and keep kicking ass. Thank you so much for having me.